Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is on the way to the cross. And the people are following him for all kinds of reasons. Some people are following because they truly believe that he is the Messiah. And some people are following because they are curious. And some people are following because they are criticizing and they want to critique and they want to discredit. And some follow because they were skeptical. And quite honestly, some people were following Jesus because they were hungry, because Jesus was known to give out a lunch or two. And so people were following Jesus for many, many reasons. But before Jesus died, he told his disciples to go into the world and to make disciples. Now, he didn't say go make believers. Listen to me. He didn't say go make believers. He said make what, saints? Disciples. There is a difference between making disciples and making believers. There is no such thing as an instant disciple. There is a such thing as an instant believer. When you make a commitment and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are born again instantly. You don't have to do one other thing but believe and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are saved. You are born again, and something miraculous happens. Listen, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, just like that. Isn't that exciting? You ought to clap your hands. That's awesome. Man can't do that. No one can do that. You were at one second, think about it, one second you were going to hell, when you received Jesus, the next second you're going to heaven. Only God can do that. And that's an instant believer, but there's no instant disciple. I don't know if you ever heard of a guy, a Russian comedian by the name of Yakov Smirnov, and he talks about when he first moved to America that he was amazed at the variety of instant products that he could buy in stores. He said, there's powdered milk, just add water, and you have milk. There's powdered orange juice, just add water, and you have orange juice. And then he saw baby powder, and he thought, what a great country. If you want a baby, just add water. And some people think that that's how discipleship works. You take a believer, you add a little water baptism, and poof, you have 
a real disciple. Listen, disciples are made. They are not born. Today, I'm going to give you five points of defining discipleship. And I actually tried to get these points to like rhyme or like all start with the same letter. You know how really good preachers do that? I'm not one of them. I couldn't get it. You know, like they get all like all D's, like, you know, defend and demand and declaration or reason, recovery and reconciliation, all that. I really couldn't really do that with my five points. So I just give you what I got. Point number one, five points. We're talking about defining discipleship. This is what we're going to talk about today. Point number one, we need to love Jesus supremely. Can the church say amen? Can the church say a better amen than that? Goodness gracious. We need to love Jesus supremely. We will find that in verse 26 in chapter 14. Point number two, we need to live like a dead person. You'll find that in verse 27. I'll tell you what that means in just a minute. Point number three, we need to consider the value of a good finish. We'll find that in verses 28 through 30. Love Jesus supremely. Live like a dead person. Consider the value of a good finish. Number four, we are to surrender to the stronger king. You're going to find that in verse 31 through 32. And then finally, we'll talk about stay pure to preserve goodness. You'll find that in verse 34 and 35. Love Jesus supremely. Live like a dead person. Consider the value of a good finish. Surrender to the stronger king. And stay pure to preserve goodness. Luke chapter 14, we actually are going to finish chapter 14 today. Can you believe it? Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. If you're looking at it, saints, say a hearty amen. Amen. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake most. Is that what it says? All. In the Greek language, all means all, and that's all all means. Whosoever does not forsake, what saints? 
all that he, that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt in verse 34 is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, we've got two, two ears, so we ought to really hear. Earlier in chapter 14, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus accepted a dinner invitation from a Pharisee on the Sabbath. And at the dinner, Jesus likened the kingdom to a great feast that a king invited everyone but many made excuses why they couldn't come. And so the king was angry, and he sent out his servant to get the maimed, the lame, the poor, and the blind. And the servant did that. He went out and got the maimed, the lame, the poor, and the blind. And he came back, and then he told his, the king, he said, there's still room at the feast. Verse 22, chapter 14. The king said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Now, in verse 25, Jesus finally leaves that dinner and a great multitude followed him. And while walking, Jesus stops and it's almost as if he throws ice cold spiritual water in their faces. As he says, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, even yourself, or you cannot follow me. Talking about defining discipleship or the demands of discipleship. Point number one, if you're trekking with me, we need to love Jesus supremely. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute. Jesus just said, if you want to follow me, you have to hate. But as I've read the Bible all of these many years, this seems like a contradiction to me. Everywhere else in the Bible, you're thinking, it talks about loving people. Here Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your wife or hate your husband. Now, I'm not going to even go there. We're just going to let that marinate. Hate your wife, hate your husband, your brothers, your sisters, your family. Well, the first thing you got to understand is, listen... If you're taking those, the word disciple, it means, anybody know? Learner. It means learner. The word hate, very important, means to love less. It means to love less. The word hate is a comparative term. Jesus is saying, in comparison to me, if you have anything that you love more than you love me, then it's not going to work. It makes me think of Genesis chapter 29, as Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, he didn't hate her. But comparatively, he loved one so much more than the other. In other words, your love for Christ needs to be so strong that your love for your parents, wife, kids, friends will seem like hatred in comparison. You must love Jesus supremely. Jesus needs to be your greatest priority and every other relationship has to pale in comparison to your love for Jesus. And if you're not willing to choose a relationship with Jesus over every other relationship, then you cannot follow him. Did you hear me? I told my wife a long time ago, I said, sweetie, sweetie, I like to call it sweetie. I said, you can love another man. She said, I can. I said, absolutely, as long as his name is Jesus. 
Not Jesus. No, not Jesus the pool guy. No, 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 no. We don't roll like that. But you can love another man because, listen, I want a wife who loves Jesus more than she loves me. And you know why? Ask me why. Thanks for asking. Because if she loves Jesus more than she loves me, then ultimately she's going to really, really love me. And I love that because it's all about me. You want a wife who loves Jesus. Let me tell you something. And some of y'all fellas know what I'm talking about. It is a lovely thing to have a wife who really, really loves Jesus. And I will say this. My wife's not in the room, so I'm not saying it for her benefit, although she is listening in her office, and I will say this for her benefit. Um, (laughs) But I am blessed, and I've told her this. To have a wife who loves Jesus. To have a wife who will pray. I'll say to her, honey, I got a headache. And she'll say, let's pray. You know, I, I, I love the Lord. Don't judge me. I love the Lord. But when I say a headache, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'm not spiritual. I, maybe I'm just not. I'm, maybe I'm just not. But when I, when I got a headache, first thing I go for the Advil. My wife, she goes for prayer. And I say, let's pray. And, she, and, she, uh, and she, she'll say, let's pray. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great, oh, great. You know, because I'm supposed to be the one to say that. It just makes me mad when she does it first. It just does. It just, but she just does it first every single time. I got a headache. She goes, oh, let's pray. I'm like, oh. You know, you're mad. Oh. So let's pray. And I'm like, well, can, well, can, yeah, yeah, can we pray? And would you mind grabbing an Advil as we pray? I mean, you know, but even this morning, I guess it uh, occurred to me again, but even this morning, we woke up, and we seem to wake up at the same time. It's kind of weird. We wake up at the same time. Anybody else have, like, a husband like that or a wife like that? No, no one, just, just us. <laughs> well, thank you for making me feel really weird. And, uh, <laughs> gee, thanks. And, um... But we wake up like at the exact same time. It's really strange. So we woke up this morning and uh, we were just laying in the bed. And I just, you know, I just took her by the hand. I said, let's pray. She took me by the hand. We said, let's just pray. Just laying there. Didn't even get out of bed. Bad breath and everything. Just, uh, you know, just, just lay there and pray. We're like, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for waking us up this morning. And pray for the worship team. Pray for Steve. And, and you know, we, we prayed for Steve and... And, uh, you know, we, after we prayed a little bit, then we prayed for Steve. And, and you know, we just, we, you know, we, you know, we just prayed for the youth ministry and the parking ministry and the, and the cafe and the bookstore. We just began to pray. But it was a blessing to me to have a wife. And women, listen, the, the value that you can give your husband is to be a godly woman. Somebody clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. That's the... That's what you can give you. It is a blessing to have a wife who loves Jesus more than she loves me. And it's a blessing for a wife to have a husband who loves Jesus more than he loves her. And wives, let me tell you something. Here's a freebie for you since you came to fourth service. Let your husband, if he loves Jesus, 
and he wants to go to church and he wants to stay in church 24-7, let him. Let him free him up to serve the Lord. Let him be the man of God that God's trying to pull him up to. A lot of men, listen, are not the men that they need to be spiritually because a wife is holding them down. I don't expect the wives to amen me, but you could be thinking about that. Uh-huh. They're not the men that they need to be because a wife is holding them down. Well, well, you know, I'm trying to go to men's Bible study. Yeah, well, what about the kids? I've been with the kids all day long, and they don't drive me crazy, and you've been off the work, and I've been stuck in here with peanut butter in my hair. It's like, whoa, slow your rolls, speed racer. I'm just trying to go to men's Bible study. That's all. I really just want to just go to men's Bible study. Is that free your husband to do? And likewise, husbands, you can be the instrument to make the woman that God wants her to be. You can be that instrument to let her become that woman by by helping her in any way you can that she can become the woman of God. What is happening is we are praying for men of God. We are praying for women of God, and we are getting in the way of God doing the work to make them the men and the women that he wants them to be. We have to stop it. Thank you. We really do. And let them become, I praise God for a wife who loves Jesus supremely. Loves them with all of her heart. Point number two, we got to move on. Talking about defining discipleship, you must live like a dead person. What'd you talk about, Willis? Look at verse 27 in your Bibles. A real disciple is someone who takes up his cross daily and follows Jesus. Now, in our culture, listen, we have no idea what this means. I remember somebody once said to me, talking about taking up your cross, bearing your cross. Somebody once told me, said, you know, Pastor, I'm in a bad marriage. Must be my cross to bear. Somebody once told me, they said, well, you know, I've got a headache and a backache and it never goes away and I've had it for years and years. Must be my cross to bear. Someone even, true story, took off their shoe and showed me their big, huge, ugly, ingrown toenail and said, well, that's my cross to bear. I said, no, that's evil. That's the devil. Go to a podiatrist. You don't have to bear that. People want to spiritualize everything. You know what I mean? They got an ingrown toenail. Oh, it must be the devil. It must be, oh, it's my cross to bear. Go to the doctor. You know, it's not your cross to bear. Listen, if you're taking notes, a cross, listen, represents execution and death and horror. A person carrying their cross knew that they were about to die a horrible death. You know, we can't relate to that because we have nice gold crosses. Some of you right now might have a cross, a gold cross around your neck. Perhaps it has diamonds in it. And you're thinking, oh, what a beautiful, lovely cross. Listen, there was nothing beautiful, nothing pleasant, and nothing lovely about the cross. If you really want to be accurate about what the cross meant, it would be better for you to have a gold electric chair around your neck with diamonds in it. Or a a gold syringe 
and poison in it because the cross represents death. Nothing beautiful about the cross. It was a nothing beautiful to Jesus about the cross. You know, people have asked me many, many times, why don't we have a cross anywhere here in the church? We don't. It's true. We don't. You know, there's some people, they deify the cross. They make the cross like this holy thing. It's like we even sing songs. We wrote songs, the old rugged cross. We deify the cross. Listen, there was nothing lovely about the cross. The cross was painful. The cross was shameful. Don't misunderstand me. I don't have a problem with the cross. No problems at all with the cross. But there was nothing holy about the cross. The only thing holy about the cross was the Holy One who hung on it. Somebody clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. Right? But nothing holy about the cross. There was a guy on the right and a guy on the left hanging on a cross. The cross was a piece of wood. And the cross meant death, and the cross meant shame. Crucifixion was horrible. It was ugly. We don't get it because ours is nice. Our crosses are nice, and we got them on top of our churches. And we go down freeways, and we see three crosses, and, we, you know, crosses. The cross represents Christianity. Can I tell you something? The cross really doesn't represent Christianity. The cross represents shame, humiliation, horror. Pain. In Jesus' day, get this, it was impolite. Get this, it was impolite to even discuss the cross openly. For you to sit around a table and talk about the cross was inappropriate. That was inappropriate dinner conversation. It was inappropriate conversation anywhere. Jesus said, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is making the point that if you're going to follow me, it's going to take full commitment. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you give up your rights and you give up your independence. We just celebrated Independence Day last week, right? But for the Christian, we don't have any independence. Think about it like that. For the Christian, we don't have any independence. We have dependence on Jesus Christ. Huh? We don't have any, you know, you hear people talking about, oh, what about my rights? What about my rights? I've got my rights. Can I tell you something? The Christian, you don't have any rights. When you give your life to Jesus, you just gave up your rights. And now you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And as a servant, you do what you're told to do. You say what you're told to say. You go where you're told to go. You're a servant. You don't have any rights. You serve the Lord and you commit your life to him in full commitment. And oftentimes we think we have rights and we think we can hold on to things. And sometimes we give our hearts to Jesus, but we hold on to other things. The Bible says we need to be dead to the world and alive to God. Point number three, we need to consider the value of a good finish. You taking notes? Point number three, consider the value of a good finish. You'll find that in verses 28 through 30. We just read it. Jesus says, If you're going to build a tower, sit down and be sure you have enough resources before you begin so you can finish the job. So you want to finish the tower because if you don't, people walking by will see the unfinished project and they will mock. You want to have a good finish. And for me, for Pastor Rodney, I want to have a good finish. I want to finish well. 
Anybody else? I want to finish well. Do you know that there are so many people who start their Christian life and they begin well, but they don't finish well? Isn't it true? We've all seen them. It's sad. It's almost so sad. In every service that I've said this, there's been a little, an, almost a numbing feeling in the room because it's sad. Because we've seen people who start off as a Christian and, and, and they're, they're walking with God and they're doing well. And even some are running and they're sprinting and they're growing quick and moving quick. But then all of a sudden they start to slow down. And before you know it, give it some time and give it a season, and they don't even know the Lord. Anybody know anybody like that? They started well, but they didn't finish well. Why? Because the Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is a marathon that you run your entire life until you run right into Jesus. Until one day you're standing in front of Jesus and you hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of the Lord. And that's what I want. I want to finish well. I was thinking about this yesterday. I've been pastoring this church. For those of you who don't know, we started this church. I started, my wife and I started this church as a Bible study 15 years ago. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm shocked myself that I'm standing here today 15 years later, and I'm still preaching the gospel and still in this race called Christianity seeking to finish well. And I I told you, I want to die right here in the pulpit. I really do. I want to die mid-sentence reading the Bible. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch, and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.